have your Bibles and turn back to page 854 to the uh, book of James. We're looking at chapter 2 tonight. If you haven't met, my name is Paul. I'm a pastor here. It's great to see you tonight. Uh, this is uh, our third in a sermon series in the book of James. I don't know about you, but uh, James is that kind of book where you feel as though you've been in the boxing ring after you've um, had a sermon on James. kind of batters and bruises you and you leave here thinking, oh, I've got to do this. Um, yeah, tonight's the same. <laughs> And therefore, I'm going to pray that uh, God gives us both the ears to hear, but also the hearts that just want to actually do what uh, the Bible says tonight. Let me pray, and then we'll open the Word. Uh, Father, thank you for this opportunity just to gather in this place at this time, to sit under the Scriptures and to hear you speak to us. Uh, Father, we do struggle, and we're often selfish and like our lives a little way, and your word penetrates our hearts deeply. Uh, Lord, we do want to be faithful disciples of Christ, and we need those hearts changed, and so I pray that your word would do that work tonight. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the world, there's a law called the law of equality, and the law of equality says that there's to be no discrimination uh, based on, on gender and no discrimination based on, on your colour of your skin, uh, no discrimination based on your social status and no discrimination based on your sexuality. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It is a good thing that, uh, that men and women have equal opportunities, that black and white have equal opportunities, that we don't look down on the poor and elevate the rich. You know, the anti-discrimination laws are a good thing. And of course, sometimes you take it to an extreme and you get these stupid adverts in the papers and you think that is so wrong. But the law of equality, on the whole, is a really, really good thing. Because to discriminate against somebody based on their skin or their gender or their sexuality or their social status is wrong. Let me say... If discrimination is wrong in the world, it's certainly wrong here in church. But in the church, the anti-discrimination is not based on a, on a sociological or a political law of equality. Let me ask you, why is it wrong to discriminate here in church? And the answer is... It's a law called the law of love. The law of love. Because Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus is saying, love all people. Love the person, whether they're black or they're white. Love them whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they're male or they're female. Love people who can't love you back. Love people who the world looks down on. Love people who, on the outside, by the outward appearance, are so different from you and so opposite and other to yourself, and we're called to love them. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. So I want you to come with me. I want you to imagine this scenario. You might want to close your eyes as I describe people. Wherever you feel best is the way you're going to focus. Imagine that you, a Sunday night, you're on the door at church, you're on welcoming at church, and a whole stream of new people come along, as they do every week. 
and the first person who walks to the door is a is a frail old man in his seventies, grey hair, and he's in pain. And he's got a walking stick. And next comes in a, a young woman. She's oozing confidence. Uh, she's well groomed and she's beautiful. And the next person who walks through our door is a, a refugee from the Sudan. And he's dressed in your Vinny's finest. And then walks through the door a, a corporate lawyer, you know, sort of Gucci top and Prada pants. And then comes a man in a wheelchair. And this man is struggling to stop saliva just dripping from his lower lip. And then comes a, a young woman who's very sporty in a sports kit. And then comes a man who looks as though he's just come from the Mardi Gras. Tight top and tight pants. And then comes a young schoolboy, age 14 or 15. He knows nobody. No one here is his age. And then comes an Asian lady who, who speaks very little English. There's a local drunk, he's next, carrying his brown paper bag. And then comes a woman who is incontinent. And the smell of stale urine is quite overwhelming. And then comes a, a, a man who, you've seen him somewhere, oh that's why he's a celebrity on TV. And then comes your local MP. And all these people come to our church tonight. And God's question for you tonight is this. How would you treat each one of them? Do we decide who is welcome here? Who's worth welcoming and worth following up? Do we immediately jump to a decision based on what someone looks like? Uh, and we think, oh, they'd fit into this church, but, but they wouldn't. Let me ask you a harder question. Who would you sit next to? Who would you walk down the aisle and, and place yourself next to in church? Or do you subconsciously think, oh, this person, they might be my friend and I might connect with them best, and they might have something to offer me. Because, I know I've heard it said, and it's always said, and the church by the bridge is the, the beautiful church, but are we just superficial with the fake smiles and the fake nods, and of course we welcome people, but we don't want to get too close to them because we just feel a bit too uncomfortable, we don't fit into our little box. And Jesus says, now love your neighbour as yourself. And James sums that up with the phrase, don't show favoritism. He's just saying love people irrespective of who they are or what colour their skin is and what job they do and where they live. Just love them and welcome them and don't show favoritism. Before we actually look at the passage, I want to be very clear. It's easy to read the book of James and we slip into kind of a, a works kind of mentality, a works kind of religion. You know, if I control my tongue, if I love the widow, if I love the fatherless, if I don't show favoritism, then somehow God will be pleased with me. I'll earn my relationship with God. That is not what James is teaching. You are only right with God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. You're only right with God by God's grace if you trust in the resurrection and the death of Jesus. You're only right with God if you've got on your knees, you've humbly repented and said yes to Christ. But, but the way you treat people matters. You know, the way that you welcome people and the way that you treat the orphans and the widows and the way that you control your tongue is evidence or it's proof that you, you really are a true disciple of Jesus. And that's why James is so hard-hitting, isn't it? Uh, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? He said, love God with all your whole, your whole heart, soul, mind and strength. So trust in Christ, trust in me, love me wholeheartedly. And then what? Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as you love yourself constantly and carefully and in a Christ-like way. Now, who's your neighbour? Everybody. Everybody who comes across your path, they're your neighbour. And they're the ones you're called to love. You see, church should be Church should be that one place where those worlds collide and where we love and accept people who are, who are so different from us and are so discarded by the world and they're so not in my social scene, but they're all here and we all love each other deeply because that's God's picture of, of his church, of his people, of his kingdom. And please don't sit here nodding and saying, yeah, that's right. And please don't come to the door and say, nice sermon, good sermon. Because James says it's not about nice sermon, it's not about hearing the word of God. Last week what we learned, it's about doing it. It's about saying, how is what I've heard tonight going to change the way I relate to people? I've got one point tonight, just one point, and then three reasons. The first, the point is this, don't show favouritism. That's how James says in verse 1, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians... As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Literally, don't receive the face. Don't, don't receive the face. Don't make judgments based on the, out, the outward external appearances. He's saying, if you're a believer in Jesus, look what he says, you're a believer in our, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you're a believer, you boast in the glory of Christ. And so why do you give so much glory to other human beings? Why do you give so much glory to what somebody looks like and what they wear? Why are you swayed by what car they drive or what clothes they they choose to have on that night or what colour their skin is? Why does that matter? Why does it matter where they live or what social background they come from? Because God doesn't care. God looks at the heart, not at the externals. Romans 2 verse 11, Paul says the same things. God does not show favoritism. Let me read Deuteronomy chapter 10 to you. It's on the screen. The Lord your God is God of gods. He's Lord of lords. He's the great God, the mighty and awesome God. And he shows no partiality and he accepts no bribes. And God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And God loves the aliens, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. He's saying, if you call yourself a child of God, then God loves those people and so should you. One thing I don't like is inconsistency. 
You know, when people say one thing and they just don't follow through and do it. The person who says, oh, I'll help with creche, but they never turn up to help with creche. Or the person who really talks it up, you know, I'm, I'm this great athlete, but it's all talk and they never actually bother running and they never actually put on a running kit. It's all just talk. And God hates that as well. He hates the talk if there's no action. He says, if you know the Bible says that discrimination is wrong and fascism is wrong, then why are you not doing it? Let's look at the example that James gives in verse 2 to 4. This, this could be a real example. It could be a, a hypothetical situation. It just doesn't matter. His point is a good one. Suppose a man, verse 2, let's call him William. Suppose William comes into your meeting, your gathering, your public gathering, and he's wearing a gold ring, a sign of, of wealth and upper class, and he's wearing fine clothes with the, the labels on the outside, and they're, they're, a desi- they're a designer label. And you see William walk through the door, and how do you treat him? Verse 3. Uh, here's a good seat for you. Welcome. You fit into this church. Uh, let me introduce you. Uh, Dan, this is William. William, this is Dan. Hey, come to the front. Uh, we have supper together. Please join us. You'd be great in this church. And then you head back to the door and verse 2 again. There's a man in shabby clothes. Let's call him Bob. And actually you smell Bob before you see him because he stinks. And what are you going to say? Verse 3. Do you say, oh, you stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet? I don't think we say that, do we? What we actually do is we say, or we pray, please, Lord, somebody else talk to him and not me. Or we say, please stay at the back, because then no one will see you and no one will smell you. You don't know either of those people, but one looks important, one looks a loser, And by the way you just treated them, verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says, you've become the judge. You've taken on the role of God. You have decided who to welcome and who not to welcome. You've decided who God should welcome and who God shouldn't welcome. You're sitting on your throne, the throne where God is, and you are the one who are judging based on the externals, based on the appearances, and that is wrong and that is evil. You become judged with evil thoughts. And we do it all the time. Oh, I think that person would be great in this church because they're a musician and we could do with some musicians. Oh, please come and join us. Oh, you'd be great in this church because you'd fit into my little clique. Oh, you've got a boat. Oh, you've got a beach house. Oh, God could do with you. And it's wrong. The word he uses in verse 4, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves, is the same word that was in verse 1. Are you not, sorry, chapter 1, verse 8, are you not double-minded? Are you not double-minded and become judged with evil thoughts? He says... You're double-minded because you're claiming to follow Christ, but actually you are, you're no different from the world. You're just like the world, full of its snobbery, full of its judging, categorising people, saying they're in and they're not. And the church shouldn't be like that. We're not like that, are we? We're different at church by the bridge. We don't judge people and discriminate, do we? Yep, we do. And yes, I do. And we slip into this worldly mindset where appearance and wealth means someone is worth getting to know. 
and we categorise people. I watch it over supper, over dinner, and you see people who are talking to people who not quite their social mould and doesn't quite fit with them and they've got their eyes sort of looking over the shoulder, looking at the person that they would rather be talking to, looking for the way out of that conversation to talk to the people they'd really want to talk to. And just the way that we run church, I was thinking about this week. You know, gone are the days where we have locked pews, thankfully, and making the poor people stand at the back, but Actually, we do structure church in a way which communicates that unless you're well-educated and you've got a tertiary education and you can read and write, then actually you're not going to quite fit in here. When was the last time in your connect group that, that you welcomed somebody who was not part of your gang? Someone said to me about connect groups, I don't want to go in that connect group because I don't really like them. I'm guilty. We all are. I'm not talking about friendships, you know. It's natural and it's right that in church you're going to connect better with other people. Friendships are right. What I'm talking about is when you meet somebody and just based on the externals, you've made a decision and you've judged them and you've decided whether they're welcome here. Now, one of the reasons why favoritism is wrong, let me give you three reasons. The first one's theological. It's this. Don't show favoritism because God chooses the poor. Look at verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. That word chooses is important. (coughs) Excuse me, verse 5. Has not God chosen... God chooses. Uh, God reaches out to people. God opens people's eyes. God gives people a heart to hear and to receive the gospel. We are saved by grace. Uh, Money can buy power. Money can buy popularity. Money can buy possessions. But it can't buy a passport to heaven. You're chosen by God. You're saved by grace. And actually the Bible says that, that money, wealth, is often a stumbling block to people hearing the gospel. And if you read your Bibles... There's not many wealthy people in the Bible. Uh, Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Uh, Joseph Arimathea, he was rich. And there's not many wealthy churches in the world. There are a few big wealthy churches, but there are thousands of others. Thousands and thousands and thousands full of people who have nothing. They are poor and they're helpless and they're needy. Why is that? Because God chooses those who are poor in the eyes of the world. Why is that? Because when you've got nothing, you are humbly dependent on your creator and your saviour. But wealth? Well, I've got it all, so why would I need God? And that's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? Because we live in Kirribilli. And, And James is saying God chooses the poor. God chooses the nobodies. And far from discriminating against them, Actually, those are the ones, verse 5, who are rich in faith. Sure, they've got no house and they've got no worldly possessions, but they are very rich because they've got a personal relationship with Christ. They're forgiven and they're restored and they're redeemed and they have an inheritance in heaven. And what would you rather have, the riches of earth or the riches of heaven? And I preached this sermon looking out to a congregation where I'm guessing that, that a lot of us are from wealthy backgrounds and privileged backgrounds 
And I hope you're sitting there thinking, well, God has been good to me and kind to me. Thank you, God, that actually you've opened my eyes and you've helped me not to put my faith in riches, but you've put my faith in Christ. Thank you for choosing me. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chooses the lowly things of this world and the despised things so that no one may boast. And if God showers his grace on people that we treat as nobodies, if God honours those people, who are we to dishonour them and insult them? If God loves them, who are we to discriminate against them? God chooses the poor. So don't show favouritism. A second reason, it's more sociological. Uh, Don't show favouritism because the rich oppose God. See, in James' day, the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, poorer. If you had land, then you could accumulate more land. If you had money, you could take people to court. If you had money, you could exploit people, you know, make your staff work longer hours and pay lower wages. And, and the rich were in one category and the poor were in the other. And nothing's changed. And what does James say? Verse 6. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are the rich not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are the rich not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? It's true, isn't it? The rich, the wealthy, the famous, they mock God, they laugh at God, they don't need God because they've made it in the world. They slander the name of your precious saviour. They slander your heavenly father who loves you and restores you. They slander his name and what do we do? Uh, Perversely, we kind of flatter them. And we, we read the magazines and we look at their lifestyles and we look at the houses and there's just a little bit of us that, that does covet and thinks, oh, that would be nice. He says, why? They've exploited God and they've slandered him. In my church in London, in Hampstead, Hampstead is a place full of celebrities. And I have to say, I look back in shame. It was pathetic when a celebrity would come into church and people would flock and I would flock to talk to that person. But the regular Joe blogs that walked off the street, not the same attention. Don't show favoritism because God chooses the poor. Don't show favoritism because the rich oppose God. And lastly, and most importantly, don't show favoritism because favoritism is sinful. It's sinful. Think about the times when you sit on your knees and you confess your sin to God. Think about the times where you sit in church and we, we corporately say a confession. Just think about what, the, what kind of things go through your mind during that time. I'm guessing when you say a confession, you're saying, Oh Lord, I've been selfish. Oh Lord, I've been angry. Oh Lord, I've been impatient. Oh Lord, I've been intolerant. Oh Lord, I've been swearing or I've been greedy or oh Lord, I, I've lusted or uh, any of those things. When was the last time that you said, Oh Lord, I've shown favoritism, please forgive me? 
We, don't, we just don't think that favoritism is sinful. But Jesus says, love God and love your neighbour and on, all, and on those two command hang all the law and all the prophets. And James says in verse 8, you know, if you really keep the royal law, it's royal because it comes from King Jesus, it's a law because it must be obeyed. If you keep the royal law found in Scripture, in the very breathed out word of God, if you keep that, if you are loving your neighbour as yourself, if you are showing as much attention to the, the single mum as to the politician or the actor, then great, you're doing good, you're doing right. But, verse 9, but if you show favouritism, you, you sin. And you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. Now if you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you become a lawbreaker. It's clear, isn't it, verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin. I reckon the problem is that we, we treat God's commands, we treat God's law a bit like we're doing our shopping at Woolies. And we walk into the fruit section and on display are all this fruit and you go, oh, I'll have some apples today but I won't have bananas. I'll have some pears today but I won't have grapes. And oh, actually avocados, oh, they look pretty fresh. I'll have them but oh, the, um, oh, those pomegranates, oh, they're disgusting. I won't have them. And we take God's law a bit like that and we say, don't commit adultery. Tick, yep, I've done that. Even though Jesus said, if you've lusted, you've committed adultery. But forget, forget that bit. Don't commit murder. Oh, tick, I haven't murdered anyone. But, oh, but Jesus said, if you got angry, well, that doesn't matter. And then you come to, uh, don't covet. And you're sort of squirming a bit because there was that sort of, that car or that house that you looked at, you thought, oh, yeah, I want that. But then you think, oh, well, I've kept most of it. Haven't been too bad. And James says, no, no, the law is a whole. It's like a pane of glass. One crack and the whole lot smashes. If you've broken it once, you, you're a lawbreaker. And I reckon the problem is that, that you and I think of the law as, as a list of do's and don'ts, and we do a tick, 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 cross, cross, tick, 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 and we forget that behind that list, behind the list of do's and don'ts, is a person. He's called God. He's called our Heavenly Father. He's the one we're called to obey and to love and to adore. And so when you break just one of them, actually you're disobeying God. And you're sinning. And so when you do show favoritism, yes, you're sinful. And we need forgiveness. And so what are we to do, verse 12? You're to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Your words and your attitude and your, and your actions are supposed to say, yes, I'm going to be judged by, by someone called Christ. And his teaching, his law, actually brings me freedom. And so I need to love God. I need to love my neighbour myself. I need to stop my snobbery, stop my external appearances, think about eternal things, stop thinking whether this person's got a beach house and start thinking, have they got Christ? And speak and act in a way you can be judged by that law because, verse 13, this is a hard verse, because verse 13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Now that makes us squirm, doesn't it? On that last day, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. It's kind of like the verse that Jesus says in, remember after, after the Lord's Prayer? If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. And he's saying, if you've received God's mercy, 
If on that last day you're receiving mercy rather than judgment, how dare you judge others and not show them mercy? And if you're habitually and continually and just your whole attitude is one of always showing favour, then the question really is, have you grasped grace? Have you understood God's mercy? Do you know Christ? Because mercy triumphs over judgment, verse 13. He's saying if you do show mercy, if you do live by the word of God, then you'd be confident of God's mercy over judgment on that last day. How do we do this? This is hard. This is so hard. I reckon the way that we as a church will stop showing favoritism is this. That you will be overwhelmed by and in the grip of grace. That you have so understood the mercy that God has shown you in Christ. That you are so blown away that, that you are a nobody that you deserve nothing. That when God looks at you externally, he sees a wretched sinner. And yet he's poured out his mercy on you and he's welcomed you and he's forgiven you. And when you've grasped that and you've grasped mercy and you've grasped forgiveness and you've grasped grace, then out of you, overflowing from you, should be similar. Grace and mercy and forgiveness. If you haven't grasped that you deserve nothing, then you'll, you'll keep judging people based on the externals. There's a true story about a, a drinks party here in Sydney. A massive drinks party, you know, the wine's flowing, the canapes are being served, everyone's in their tuxedos, they've got their bow ties on, and there's a man in the corner and he's drinking some champagne and he's dressed in jeans. And a man in the tux goes to see him and says, uh, excuse me sir, this is a... It's a private party. You're not welcome here. And the man in jeans turns to him and says, Excuse me, sir, I know it's a private party because I'm hosting the party and I'm the CEO of this company and I'm paying for it and I am welcome here. And I wonder whether God looks down at us because he's the CEO. He decides who he will choose. He decides who belongs here. And who are we to go up to people and just say, you don't belong here, you're not welcome here. Grasp grace. Grasp that God chooses. Then perhaps we won't show favouritism. Can you imagine what the impact that would have? Can you imagine if this church was known for people who loved our neighbours as ourselves, no matter what they looked like, what they smelt like, what they wore, where they lived, what job they have. And the gospel of grace would actually ring out. Let me pray. Jesus said, Love, love you, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbour as yourself. Lord, we thank you for your mercy shown to us. We thank you for your grace poured out to us. We thank you that you don't look at our externals. You don't judge us based on what we wear or what we 
education we've had or where we live, but you've poured out your grace in Christ and you love us because Christ first loved us. Lord, please make us a people and a church that shows no discrimination, no favouritism, and we love our neighbours as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.